turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Well, as you turn there, uh, I just did want to let you know that we want to make sure that we continue to pray for um, Miss Geneva Thomason and and Jared. Uh, Jared's mom, Miss Judy Lucas, passed away uh, this past Friday. Uh, those of you uh, have probably have heard of the service arrangements. The, the service uh, visitation is going to be two, Tuesday uh, evening, and then the service is going to be Wednesday, 2 o'clock here. Uh, we want to make sure that we lift the family in prayer um, uh, in the days ahead. Well, what we do here at Park Baptist Church, we're going to continue to work through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm going to read, um, starting in verse uh, 21 of chapter 22, read to verse 38. I'll pray, and then we'll look at this scripture together. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority all over them as are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I... I'm among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise your name. You are holy, you are righteous, you are all that is good. Father, we thank you for the great privilege of entering into your presence. And God, when we enter your presence, we are reminded of how short we fall. So we come first and foremost, God, confessing our sins to you, uh, confessing our sins of um, omission and our sins of commission, God. God, we confess that we have... um, betrayed you, Lord. We have not lived as we ought. God, we have been prideful, desiring people to seek our attention and our glory, Father. God, we have been tempted 
to turn away from you in the midst of our trials. God, we confess all these sins to you, and we ask you, who are faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you for the great promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because his blood has been shed over us, that he stands forever to make intercession for his people, that our faith may not fail. So, dear God, I pray that you would remind us of the great promise of the gospel, that our sins have been fully and freely forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up to those, those to you in our congregation who are hurting. God, we lift up to you this morning specifically uh, Jared, um, uh, Tritt and his family, and Miss Geneva. God, we, we thank you so much for Judy's life, Lord, for the life that you, you gave her, Lord. Father, we thank you for her faith in you. God, we thank you that today that she is in your presence in a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, God, and no more death. God, we thank you for the inheritance that you promise your saints. Dear God, you promised that those who come to you in grief would be comforted. So God, I pray that you would comfort that family. God, remind them of the hope that we have in the gospel, that because Jesus Christ died and rose again, those who have fallen asleep, you will take with you to where you are. So God, I pray that the, that the deep truth of your gospel would comfort that family this day. And God, we do pray for our community. We thank you so much for our, the city you've called us to live in. God, we pray that you would continue to, to increase the number of believers in our town. Father, we pray for Pastor Steve Hogg this morning at First Baptist Church. We pray as he preaches your word that that congregation will be built up in Christ, Lord. That as he declares the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, that congregation would be built up would grow up to, to, to him who is the head, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear God, now as we turn to the word ourselves, we pray that you would, you would strengthen us. I pray first, Lord, that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase, that your glory would be had uh, during this message. Father, I pray that you would just search me uh, and that you would test my words, that everything that I say to your people would, be, uh, serve, would, be, would serve them, God, for your glory and for their good. Dear God, I pray for the people that you have given me to pastor, to shepherd, and to, and to love. God, I pray for their hearts. I pray that you would soften their hearts and that you would open them. They would receive your word. As the word of God goes forth, they would say yes and amen, God. That they would submit to you. That they would be encouraged, God. Father, our, our congregation has experienced much discouragement, uh, both in sickness and in death in recent days. So, dear God, I pray that this message would, be, would, would serve to encourage our hearts and to remind us, Lord, that you are interceding for us, that you are praying for us. So, dear God, I pray as the word goes forth, your name would be glorified, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted this morning, and that you would draw men and women unto yourselves. So, Father, we thank you, and I thank you that you are working even now as your word will go forth. Bless your people, Lord. We ask you to do this in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would be your last words to your family? Jesus had lived with his disciples for three years. They had become his family. He was going to be crucified the next day, and he had one last opportunity before his death to address his disciples. Uh, Jesus took this opportunity to encourage his disciples to look to the truth, to what really mattered. 
I pray that we let Jesus' last words encourage our hearts and help us see what truly matters. If you want to follow along in the, the bulletin provided for you, you can just flip on the back and kind of follow along the outline. Uh, the first point is encouraging last words, uh, predetermined betrayal, a predetermined betrayal. As we looked at last week, Jesus just established the Last Supper to, to do the Last Supper in remembrance of him. Uh, he shares that his disciples, that one of them is going to be, going to betray him. Now, we already know at the beginning of the chapter that that's going to be Judas Iscariot. Uh, he was searching for an opportunity to betray Jesus. But this would have been shocking to the disciples there. They had no spoiler alert. They did not know what was coming. Look with me again in, in the text. In verse 21, Jesus says, But behold, a, a cue to draw our attention to the text, to listen, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And listen, and they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Well, how are these last words encouraging? Uh, well, what we see here is Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. It says, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. He knew he was going to be betrayed and crucified, and he accepted his fate. Jesus trusted God's sovereign plan for his life. How instructive is that for us? to trust in God's plan for us. Even in the midst of our trials, we must trust God. There is a purpose in our trials. Jesus knew that, and so should we. Yet there's also a warning in this passage. You know, we can look at warning as something that is negative, but we can also hold warnings as encouragements. It's encouraging for someone to warn you about a potential danger. You know, it's encouraging when a friend reminds, you know, it lets you know that your favorite restaurant just received a D warning from the Department of Health. Now, it's a joke. Didn't go over well. You know, Jesus offers a very clear warning here. What does he say? He says, Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Judas has already consented to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there. And Jesus, even here, is giving him one last chance to repent. We know that Judas served his purpose in denying and betraying Christ, but the warning was still given to him. Judas showed his true allegiance to self and himself as an imposter among the disciples. The warning of betrayal goes out to Judas as it does to us. Are you living secretly against the Lord? Are you within the community of faith, part of the people of Park Baptist Church, and yet simply an imposter? Only you truly know your heart before God. But in his last words, Jesus exhorts his people of the danger of betraying the Son of Man. You know, and truthfully, no one expected it was going to be Judas. They looked around and they said, who, who could it be? Should that cause us to pause? That there may be people in our midst today 
that are going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, that are going to abandon their faith. And beloved, we're not going to see it coming. So can I just encourage you as your pastor this morning to make sure that your heart and your life is right with God. Sin can bite anyone. We should never be surprised at the magnitude of sin. Judas trusted with the money bag. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years, the living God himself. I don't even think Judas expected himself to betray Jesus. Sin is deceptive. It's destructive. Do not underestimate the power of sin. Second thing we see here, the encouraging last words, pure leadership, pure leadership. The disciples were debating which, debating which one of them was the worst and which who would betray Christ, but they were also debating, disputing which one was the best. Look at verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus shifts the value of leadership. The leadership of the kingdom of God is drastically different than the leadership of the world. The Gentiles exercise lordship or demonstrate their authority by their power. They gave themselves the title of benefactor, not because it was earned, but simply because of their position. Worldly leaders take pride in their position. It is natural for people to, to boast in their position of authority. The prideful exaltation in position is fine, is fine for the world. But that should not ever be among the people of God. In verse 26, you see that sharp contrast that Jesus makes. But not so with you. Rather, there's a contrast. That is the way the world lives. That is not the way the church should function. Beloved, this is why the, the, the church, as the community of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, must always be different than the world. We must not be like the world. We must not use the, the systems and the things in the world to draw people in. We must be a completely different community. The leadership structure should be drastically different than that what we see in the world. What does he say? The leadership of the kingdom is one of service. He says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. The leader as one who serves. Jesus is not saying there shouldn't be leaders, but there should be a certain kind of leader. You know, he stretches the, the example further by placing the world and the kingdom side by side. He says, who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Of course, it's the one who reclines at the table. In, in the eyes of the world, that's who, we, who leaders desire to be, the one who is being served. Yet the kingdom of God is not of this world. Our king 
The Lord Jesus Christ himself has come to give us another kingdom. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Now, it doesn't say it here, but we know from from John's gospel, John 13, that while the disciples were eating their meal, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer garment, put a, a towel around his waist, got down on his hands and knees, and washed his disciples' feet. A picture of true humility. That's what God desires of his people. This is what he says in John 13, 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I I am so. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. King Jesus Christ, the only sovereign, modeled for us how we are called to lead, a life of leadership and a life of service. That is for the church, but but men, that is also how you're supposed to live in your homes. Men, you are called to wash your wife's feet. You are called to be the servant in your home. If you are one of those men who says, serve me, you are not living as Jesus Christ. You need to lay your life down for others. During my years in ministry, I have found many people who want to be served, but very few people who want to serve. By God's grace, I have met many men and women in this congregation who, like the Lord Jesus, have washed one another's feet. I've seen that even in recent days, how you have cared for Miss Geneva and for Judy, how you have laid down your time and your lives to care for one another. Beloved, I don't know if if you feel it, but I sure do. It has been a discouraging winter. It's been cold. People have been sick. They've been, been at home. And yet, you continue to love each other. You continue to serve one another not craving the limelight, but just serving behind the scenes. Can I just say thank you? As a pastor, it encourages my heart. Uh, There may be some of you young people that may not know what happens sometimes in the life of Park Baptist Church, but there are so many godly saints who have just washed one another's feet. The Lord sees it, and he will reward you for it. Thank you. Let me just say this. If anyone here who aspires to leadership in the church, God is calling you first to become a servant. Uh, we, we serve others. The next thing we see here is encouraging last words, a promised kingdom, a promised kingdom. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs seventeen seventeen, which reads, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It's amazing how friendship can be tested under the crucible of suffering. You know, my best friends are those who have stuck with me in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my trials. I mean, have you ever had friends, I should say, have you ever walked through the crucible of suffering, gone through difficulty, gone through trials, and it was only then that you realized who your friends truly were? 
think about how many people you have, have stood next to you during your own trials. And then I want you to hear Jesus' words. Listen to verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Did you hear that? You have stayed with me in the midst of my trials. One of Jesus' best friends just rejected him, turned his back on him, betrayed him to the Pharisees. And that was only one of the trials Jesus faced in his life. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. His family thought he was crazy. He was ostracized from his own hometown. He was called Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He gave hard words of instruction to the people of God. And what did they do? They turned away from him. The crowd was fickle. The crowd will always be fickle. But friends, a true friend loves at all times. So he looked at his disciples, the 11 who were around the table, and he said, you have stayed with me. I pray that we would be such friends. I pray that we would serve alongside those who are in trials. But I, I, I also know this. I also know that you will have your own Judases in your life. You will have people who will betray you. It's not an if, it's a when. Jesus just had his moment of betrayal. And yet, he's not focusing on Judas. What does he do? He turns and he sees everybody who is there with him. This is, I, think, I think it's important for us. When, when things happen in our life, we can focus on the one who betrays. But we should also just turn and see the 11 who are sitting right there with us. God is good to give us friends in the midst of trials. And what does God, Jesus, do for these 11 who, who stayed? He promises them a, prom a prominent place in his kingdom. God the Father gave Jesus a, a kingdom, and now Jesus gives his disciples a kingdom. He rewarded them for their faithfulness to him. And God promises a reward for us, for our faithfulness unto him. We are going to go through trials. We are going to suffer in this world. And yet when we hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will reward us. It is a promise. I love the comparison that Paul makes in Romans 8, 18. This is what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's not minimizing the struggle. He's maximizing the glory and the, the promise that God will give his people. Listen to Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I love that. Remember that when you serve God, you are serving the Lord Christ. God has promised a special place for his disciples. First, he, he promises that they will be welcomed at his table in his kingdom. There will be intimate fellowship in the age to come. Second, Jesus will place his disciples on the thrones to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. God's plan for Israel will be finally be complete. 
as he brings all his people, Jew and Gentile, together under one head, Christ, on the last day. The great promise was given to the disciples as to encourage them of what they were about to face. Remember, this whole conversation takes place with Jesus Christ about to die on the cross. And he's trying to remind them, the remaining 11 disciples, of not only Jesus' death, but the death that they would all face themselves. Of those 11 disciples who were sitting around the table, 10 of them would be executed for their faith, and one would be exiled on the island of Patmos. No servant is greater than their master. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and a man of grief. So why do we listen to people when they tell you that God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and happy? Jesus was not wealthy. He suffered. We are not greater than our Lord. The fourth thing we see here is encouraging last words, a promised victory. A promised victory. Jesus gives a word of encouragement to his disciples that they are going to eat at his table in his kingdom. A beautiful promise. And then he speaks directly to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And we see Peter, as he always does, is not listening as he ought to, to the Lord Jesus. What does he say? Lord, I am ready. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter's underestimating the power of sin. He is underestimating his own pride. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, many of us, if you grew up in church, probably very familiar with Peter's denial of Christ. But we may not be as familiar with the spiritual backdrop of the conversation that led to his denial. Let me make two observations here. First, we have an adversary that is actively pursuing our destruction. We have an adversary that is actively pursuing your and my destruction. And not just you but your children and your grandchildren. He is active and he is aggressive. Satan demanded to have Peter. Satan hates Jesus and he hates Jesus' followers. Peter experiences firsthand. Now we all know the worst moments of a believer's life are those moments when we fall into temptation when we sin against God. Peter, in only a few hours, would deny his friend and his master. And when he did, what do we, what do we, what do we read in Luke twenty two sixty two? He wept bitterly. I'm not sure if you've been there, but if you have sinned and you realize the magnitude of your sin, just to weep, to sob, to realize that you betrayed the Lord God, Betrayed family and friends. So Peter knows the pain of failure. He knows there is an adversary going after you because it went after him. 
So this is what he writes in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter wants me and you to learn from his mistakes. He was warned of Satan. He trusted in his pride, believing that he was above temptation. Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death. Friend, do not underestimate the adversary. We see him take Judas out, one of the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years. We see him going after another one, Peter. But the Lord Jesus would not let his faith fail. This is the second observation. Jesus is praying for you. Right now, Jesus Christ is praying for you. Our trust is ultimately not in our ability to resist temptation, but in our Savior who resisted temptation for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus right now is praying for you and saying, your faith will not fail. Yes, because that's exactly what happened to him. He failed. He took our failures on the cross. We've all failed against temptation. We have sinned against God and deserve death and eternal hell because of our sin. None of us has resisted temptation to the point of death, and yet when Jesus was tempted, he resisted the adversary. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. He became our high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He gave his perfect life as a ransom for sinners. And after he was dead and buried, God raised him from the dead, accepting his sacrificial death on behalf of sinners. And because of the, the resurrection, we read in Hebrews 7, 25. This is a verse to memorize. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. When we draw near to God in repentance and faith, God saves us. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail as he forever lives to pray for his people, us, because Jesus Christ will not lose one of his sheep. Peter did fail Jesus. We will fail Jesus. But our failure will only be temporary. Just as Peter's. There's some of you even here now who are who are who maybe have recently who are currently failing the Lord Jesus. You may feel guilty, have shame, regret. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, can I encourage you that Jesus knows your failure? He's praying for you. He's standing before God the Father praying for you. He says to his children, your faith will not fail. And even what he said, what he said, what he said to Peter, and when you have turned again, 
Strengthen your brothers. Friend, Jesus invites you this morning to turn again to him. Do not continue in your sin, but return to your shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And know that when you sin, you have an advocate standing before the Father on your behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As you should not underestimate the adversaries, you should not underestimate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His grace restored Peter in his failure, as his grace will restore you when you fail. Turn again from your sin and draw near to God, who saves to the uttermost, since he lives to make intercession for his people. The last point, encouraging last words, a promised rejection, a promised rejection. The reason that we have hope, the reason why our salvation is possible is because our Savior was rejected. It is, not only, by, it is only by His wounds we have been healed. It was time for His disciples to get ready for life without their Master. The world has made their decision about Jesus, and now it's time for His disciples to prepare for the same fate. He reminds them of when they were sent out with nothing. He says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. And he said, but now, let the one who has a money bag take it. Likewise, a knapsack, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. What he's saying is get ready. It's time for you to get ready. I'm leaving. Get ready. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus had tried to prepare his disciples for his death. It was difficult for them to understand. Remember that they, they, they viewed the Messiah as one who's going to come and, and give them deliverance from Roman oppression. Physically, actively, in their lifetime. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. And Jesus wanted to see how his death had been planned since the beginning of time. It must be fulfilled. He had to be numbered with the transgressors. He had to be treated as a sinner so that sinners like me and you could be saved. He's reminding his disciples with those, of those last words that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is inviting his disciples again to follow him. But remember, Jesus does not ask you to go anywhere where he has not already been. Can we have our hearts take courage when we think about what our Lord has done for us? I'm going to read again Isaiah 53. It was our scripture reading. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53. Let me close with us meditating on how our Lord was rejected. Hear the word of God promised about the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ did for us. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for 
our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see that? He was numbered with the transgressors to make intercession for the transgressors. Brothers, sisters, be encouraged. Jesus is praying for you. Your faith will not fail. Your sins are paid for. Your redemption is near. Turn to him again in faith as we wait the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us. Be encouraged, for our Savior saves to the uttermost those who draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these last words you gave the Lord Christ for us. God, I pray that we would understand that no servant is greater than his master. As you sent Jesus to die for our sins, that you laid our iniquities on him. By his wounds, we are healed. God, I pray that we would be encouraged this day knowing that right now in heaven our Savior is praying for us that our faith may not fail. Oh God, I pray for your people. I pray that they would understand that you live to make intercession for them. God, help those here who do not know you understand that you are a God who saves to the uttermost. Encourage the hearts of your people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.